The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our third episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I want to jump right in because today we're going to be talking about some really great stuff including extracurricular activities and college admissions, uh, the nuts and bolts of researching colleges and putting together a list, and then negotiating a better financial aid award, important to lots of people. And finally, we're going to wrap up the episode by answering your admissions and college finance questions. So let's get right into it. Uh, I know that there are many of you who may have wondered what activities colleges most want to see on a student's application. Uh, maybe if there are certain things that are more important than others. And today, Karen Spencer, who is my colleague at College Coach and a former admissions officer at Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall, is joining me to talk through all of these things. So welcome, Karen. Thanks, Beth. Nice to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. So let's start with something really basic. Um, you know, what constitutes an extracurricular activity exactly? So that's an easy answer because it's literally anything you do outside of the classroom. So it can be within your high school, you know, the track team, the debate team, um, you know, Model UN. It can be something outside of the classroom or outside of your school. It can be um, a karate. Uh, it can be piano lessons. It could be having a job at Target. Um, literally anything you do outside of the classroom constitutes an extracurricular activity. So. Um, if it's not in the classroom, um, you're good to go. <laughs> gotcha. And I do, you know, I get lots of questions around that. Well, my son doesn't, he's not involved at all in school, so he doesn't really do anything. Well, does he do anything? Well, yeah, he actually does have a job at Target, like you said, and also does karate and takes piano lessons. So doing lots of things, just nothing in the school, that doesn't mean that it's not an extracurricular activity. So thanks so much for that definition. So I think the second fairly basic question is, why are these important? Why do colleges care about extracurricular activities? So I think that the general theme and, and idea is that an active, engaged high school student is likely to be an active, engaged college student, right? When we look at your grades and your transcript, right, one of the reasons we look at your grades is we presume if you are a, an A-B student in high school, we kind of presume you're going to be an A-B student in college, right? We, that's why we look at your transcript. Well, the same is really true for extracurricular activities. As like I said, an active, engaged high school student will likely be an active, engaged college student. You know, right. if your student, your high school student comes home every day and plays Xbox for three hours, I'm inclined that that's what they're going to do when they get to college. And mm-hmm. frankly, that's not exactly a selling point to an admissions officer. Um, so we want to see that you have really contributed to your community, um, that you've explored some things that you're interested in, um, that you in potentially enjoy working with others. Um, it's just there's a lot of growth that happens through extracurriculars. You know, they also teach things like life skills. 
um, you know, to teach you about teamwork, um, teach you about how to lose with grace, how to win with grace, um, yeah. understanding that there is a role for those who lead and also those who work behind the scenes or sit on the bench. Um, it's about figuring out what you're good at and what you enjoy and sometimes, frankly, what you don't. Um, extracurriculars can also be an excellent introduction into the business world. Um, and I don't mean like the work of business um, itself, but just into like, you know, what you might want to do for a career. I'm mm-hmm. a perfect example of this. Um, when I was in college, I was a tour guide, which frankly I just did because it sounded like fun. I like to talk and it paid me. <laughs> so that was great. Um, and I was also um, the vice president and my face of Inner Story Council. So both of those things, though, were really transformative and helping me get to what I do today, frankly. That tour guide position, despite the fact that I was just happy to make five bucks an hour, uh, really made me realize that I liked the work of admissions. I liked talking to people about colleges that I felt strongly about and helping people kind of navigate this process. And frankly, that job, you know, you know that little kind of $5 a week paycheck or whatever it was, or $5 an hour paycheck, led me to get a master's degree in higher educational administration, which led me to be working in admissions, which led me to college coach. So, you know, one little extracurricular activity sometimes can really spark an interest in your child that may have, frankly, nothing to do with the classroom. And so um, I do think a lot of people, you know, how many lawyers were on Model UN or their debate team, right? Well, that's mm-hmm. how they kind of probably figured out they like to do that. Um, exactly. So while most of us are not going to be professional athletes, and that may not always lead you know, that extracurricular activity. Others ones really do teach you um, a lot of skills that later on you think, oh, that's, I'm good at that. I should probably do something in that field or with that, that skill or talent. Right. So I think a great point there, which is that it's important from a college's perspective, but it's also important from a life perspective. Um, I yeah. also think, you know, keeping busy means usually keeping out of trouble, which is good for every teenager that I know, certainly. Um, I think it's good for all children in general. My yes, brother always used to say the key to keeping a teenager out of trouble was to run him like a greyhound. So there you are. Yeah. There you go. So another really big question that a lot of parents and students have, I know I get it, I'm sure you do too, this idea that there is, you know, sort of one thing that you should be doing, or more importantly, that there are some activities that are better than others. And so let me ask you that, are there some activities that are considered better than others in when it's time to apply to colleges? So the answer to that is yes and no, right? So let's start by really addressing that there are really no magical activities out there, all right? You know, I always get parents kind of thinking, like, if only my son played the tuba or was a fencer or a squash player or something kind of unusual like that, they could just kind of waltz into Stanford. And that's not how that works. And so I think that's a really big myth out there that um, simply doing something unusual is going to be your ticket to doing something. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. doing something unusual is great if that's what you're really passionate about and that may raise an eyebrow in a good way in an admissions committee meeting to say, oh, wow, interesting. It does something different than everybody else, but it's not going to be the be-all, end-all for you. That said, some activities are stronger than others. So I always joke that the Spanish club is never what got anybody into Harvard or any college for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, at the Spanish club did say, and I'm only taking on a Spanish club, you can insert whatever kind of fluffy club you want there. Um, you know, the Spanish club today does what it did when you and I were in high school, which is to say, you know, we made some quesadillas, a little como esta, you know, a little Spanish, <laughs> um, got our pictures in the yearbook and called it a day. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If that if, there's nothing wrong with having Spanish club on your resume. So please understand it's not going to carry the same weight as somebody who went to, um, you know, volleyball practice 15 hours a week for three straight months right, mm-hmm. or somebody who was in the lead in the play or even in the chorus in the play but had to go to practice every single day. 
for, you know, for three straight months. Um, Or even the person who worked uh, at McDonald's and, you know, 15 hours a week, every weekend is, you know, at the cashier, right? Those were serious commitments. So Spanish Club and the like, you know, I put National Honor Society in there. I put a lot of other things that, frankly, are are nice but are not huge time commitments. Um, Those are, those can kind of round out a resume, but those shouldn't be kind of your be-all, end-all um, on your resume. Um, so I think the key thing with picking out activities is, frankly, to focus on your interests, not what you think an admissions officer wants to see. That's almost always the kiss of death in general. You know, never, yep. you know, play to what you think an admissions officer wants. Um, so if you love tennis, play tennis. And if your high school has a community service requirement, for example, rather than maybe volunteer at a soup kitchen that has zero appeal to you, why not teach tennis at the Boys and Girls Club instead? You know, that way you're not only fulfilling your high school's community service requirement, you're telling a story, um, the importance of tennis to your life. And you might actually spread some joy around if you're fulfilling a requirement with things of importance to you. So, you know, in a nutshell, I would say do what you love, do it to the best of your ability, and do it consistently. Yes, I would um, completely agree with all of that. Um, and just say that, that, I mean, that's how you present a more compelling application is starting with what you love to do rather than, as you said, starting with, well, what do I think these people want to see from me? One is an authentic way to go about something, and one is just you're trying to game the system, and it always comes across as false in some ways. Um, so, yes, good, good advice there. What about... Um, are extracurricular activities viewed differently at different colleges? Um, do they matter more some places than at others? They do. And, and in fairness, you know, I, I generally got good rule of thumb, and there are obviously exceptions to this rule. But, um, and this goes for, frankly, a lot of kind of those kind of other things that are outside of the academic realm. But the, the larger the school gets, the less your extracurriculars tend to get nitpicked about, right? So if you're mm-hmm. looking at a Penn State versus Penn, for example, right, Penn State with its huge, you know, undergraduate population, you know, that application is not getting a particularly holistic review. If you have the numbers, this is largely a matrix system. You have X and Y, you get in, you don't, you don't, right? They're not going to be like, well, we would have liked to see a fourth year of debate, right? I don't think that conversation is going on at Penn State. At Penn, it's definitely going on, right? This is where we're going to have to really split hairs on kids who look otherwise very similar on paper, both in the academic realm and in that kind of other kind of more touchy-feely realm. And so, that's more of a place or and even even smaller schools that really have, they don't have to be as selective as Penn. They can be, you know, the Franklin and Marshalls of the world that are, you know, selected but are not, you know, are not Ivy League. We're still going to be able to craft a class and we want to see what, kind, what you're bringing to the table and that's, that's kind of the ability of a smaller school. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, the bigger the school is, the less extracurriculars tend to matter. Um, that said, the exceptions of that, I would say, at a place, again, like a Penn State or a Rutgers or something like that would be, in terms of honors programs, honors colleges sometimes look at those. And in terms of scholarship um, opportunities, sometimes extracurriculars can help bolster those. Um, but whether you get in or not to Penn State or and the like, extracurriculars are probably not going to play a major role. Gotcha. Well, thank you. And and I would add that at um, in a future show, we're going to delve a little bit more deeply into the role that extracurriculars play at that highly selective level and what constitutes a really strong profile um, for the most selective schools in the country. But given that those really represent 
the tiniest fraction of schools that are out there. We're not going to dig into that today. We'll save that for another time. Karen, we have time for one more question. Um, and that is really, um, what about the length of your resume? How important is doing lots of things um, in terms of the college process? So the rule of thumb on that one is always depth over breadth, right? I would rather see you do two or three activities over the course of four years with a real level of commitment than doing 10 clubs that don't accomplish much, right? Consistency is important. We'd like you to see, again, if you, you know, find something you enjoy, we want you to keep doing it. You know, we don't like to see a year of this, a year of that, a year of this. That doesn't actually make us think you're well-rounded. It makes us think that you can't commit to anything. So, you know, my best advice is find freshman year, try out a ton of stuff so that you can see what you're good at and what you want to continue with and keep with that um, throughout the rest of high school so we can see three or four years of the same activities. Um, But two or three is fine, especially if they're of significant commitment. Uh, We don't need 10 or 20. Right. I think one point I always like to make with parents just to – further what you are saying is that it's not a checklist. So you don't get more points the more checks you have. Like played a sport, check, did community service, check, uh, was on the debate team, check, uh, was in the Spanish club, check, and that somehow that equates to a stronger application than a student who maybe was more deeply involved in something like tennis, uh, but did a lot of things in those areas. Um, It really isn't that, you know, the more you do, the the more impressive it is. Um, so that's great. And there are so many other questions that we probably could discuss today about extracurricular activities, but um, right now our time is up on that. Um, if you're interested and you have other questions, please do send them in. You can give us a call. Uh, the number here is 866-472-5788. You can also email us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Beth. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to go to a break here in just a minute, but when we get back, we're going to talk about researching colleges and putting together a college list with my colleague, Kira Tyler. So come right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Um, So last week, college coach expert Steve Brennan and friend of mine, uh, he and I talked about finding the right fit. So when you're getting started on that college list, I think that finding the right fit is really the most important thing to do first. So if you're curious about that, you can listen to all of our past episodes right on the show page, or you can download them from iTunes. So uh, if you if you want to listen to that, uh, check that episode out from last week. In the meantime, today, I'm joined by Kira Tyler, who is also a colleague and friend of mine. She's also a former admissions officer at Brandeis. And she's going to talk with us about what happens after you have that criteria established. So welcome, Kira. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So as you know, last week, Steve and I talked about finding the right fit. Um, what, it, what, in your opinion, is the first step after you sort of figure that your your primary criteria out? Yeah, sure. Great question. So, you know, after people have gone through the process of figuring out their own criteria and what they feel is the most important aspect of their search, you know, I really want people to take a critical look at themselves and the profile that they'll present to colleges. Um, so I want students and families to take a really close look at uh, the curriculum the student has, has done. Has it been the most rigorous at their school? Has it been college preparatory? Has it been at the IB level? Um, and I also want them to take a really close look at the grades. And this is like truth and honesty, right? <laughs> so we don't want to sugarcoat it. We want to be totally honest about that C that stood out in, in sophomore year or the straight A's that are present. So um, I think taking a look at the rigor the performance, also the testing, you know, particularly if you're going to be applying to schools where the testing really matters um, mm-hmm. and there's not going to be a lot of testing optional schools. We want to, you know, make sure that students are going to be appropriately matched for the schools they're going to be applying to. And then also piggybacking off of uh, what Karen just spoke about really well, which is the extracurricular piece, thinking critically about how the student has spent their time um, in hopefully really well-engaged activities. So right. it's really about, it's an inward process, it's one that requires some reflection, and I think doing that will allow the student and the family to be able to move forward um, on the right path. Right, exactly, except for and not sort of looking at, well, my friend, who maybe has a completely right. different profile from exactly. me, is looking at these schools and has the same criteria, I should look for those too, that may not be a good first step, right? So. Absolutely not. In that, you know, or if you have an older, older sibling who just went through this, or if you have a twin, you know, and they're going through this, this needs to be a very individual process. Right. I would agree. So 
you've done that. You've looked at, you've got your profile in hand, you know, you have your, your general average, your testing, if you've got any, you've looked at the rigor, the extracurriculars. What are some tools that you like to turn to at that point um, in order to do the research? Sure. So I'll start with the most rudimentary because um, sometimes I like to just take it back and be old school and um, <laughs> go easy with it. But um, I still really love the Fisk Guide to Colleges. Um, it comes out every year. Um, I do think that sometimes for this process, there's something about grounding yourself in reading profiles, dog-earing pages, um, and I love the, they have like an overlap. So if you like XYZ school, you know, or sort of a cross-referencing that's really nice for kids to be able to, to hang on to. Um, and if, you know, your student isn't into that kind of uh, method, I think it's also really good for parents and, you know, check it out from the library if you don't want to buy it. Um, <laughs> so I'll definitely say the Fisk Guide is one of my favorites. Um, I also think that the actual school websites are completely underutilized. So a lot of people are hungry for, you know, insider information, which I get, but that leads them to all of these blogs and things where there's a lot of chatter. Um, mm-hmm. Research at the actual source. Go to the school's website. Look at their news section. That's a great way to figure out what kind of faculty they recently hired. Who's doing research? Uh, I just found out from my own alma mater about, like, you know, Fulbright scholars. And so really interesting information about what's happening at the institution. They also have good information on their admission statistics, typically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also great pictures of campus and virtual tours, which leads me to my next favorite site. So YouTube is not just for funny, you know, videos of dogs and cats, but, (laughs) um, you know, it's also great fodder for virtual tours that campuses produce. Um, And so, you know, I have some international students I work with who really won't get the opportunity to see many campuses in person before they make an application. Not something I would suggest, obviously, but for them, it's, you know, it's just a a challenge. Mm -hmm. So they do a lot of these tours on on YouTube. I've seen some of them. They're really spectacular. Um, And so I would say YouTube and then Unigo um, is another one that's a website that's all about college comparison and has some user-generated content so current students can input information about their own school um, that they think will be helpful to prospective students. Gotcha. And then you mentioned something called iPads. Yeah. So iPads. That's new to me. What is that about? Yeah. So iPads is kind of for like those, you know, data wonks out there who really are not into you know, this campus is beautiful, and they have a lot of green space. You know, they want really hard facts. And so IPEDS, it's I-P-E-D-S, is um, through the National Center for Education Statistics. And so essentially it's a way that all of these schools, um, they have to report information to the federal government. Um, And so it's like, what's the enrollment, both undergraduate, graduate? uh, What's the four-year graduation rate? What's the five-year graduation? What's the, you know, so really hard and fast data that Mm -hmm. I think is also a good thing to consider when you maybe don't want all the noise about the pretty pictures and the this and the that, but you just want, you know, to think about outcomes um, and that sort of information. So iPads is great. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm going to check that one out myself because I have not looked into that. Good. So here's another thing. So people talk about reaches, matches, and safeties, or here at College Coach, we talk about 
um, challenging just rights and no problems. Mm-hmm. And there are all different types of euphemisms that are out there about, um, you know, sort of ranking schools. What does that mean? And how does that play a role in researching schools and putting together a list or probably more specifically, how should that play a role in researching schools and putting together a list? Sure. So, um, At College Coach, we classify those categories as challenging, which would mean that the student has, you know, about under a 50% chance of admission. Mm -hmm. Um, The just right category, which a lot of people refer to as target or matches, um, and where they have, you know, I would say around a 50% chance, but typically better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably, let's say, 50 to 80%. And then kind of the no problems, and most people refer to these as safety schools, and this would be, you know, probably above a 90% um, chance of being admitted. Um, and so, you know, I, a lot of people get really excited about their search and in doing so, sometimes focus mostly on the challenging schools, which I kind of understand. You know, they're thinking these are the ones that are hardest for me to get into. And But um, what we're really wanting people to do is give equal attention to all three of those categories, right? Because this is not a perfect process. You have mm-hmm. to be ready for a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan F. And so, you know, we really recommend that people give um, equal attention to the crafting terrific, challenging options that the student loves and would consider for the right reasons and, if given the chance, would go. The same criteria should apply for the challenge, uh, the just right and the uh, no problem schools. You know, it really hurts my heart when I hear somebody kind of dog they're like just right and no problem schools like, well, I'm only applying because my parents are forcing me or, you know, they can't right. muster up any enthusiasm um, for any schools outside of the challenging list. And I say to them, you know what, like then we're not we're not applying maybe to the right um, no problem and just right schools. So it's either a re-examination of the schools on that list for the student that needs to be done or kind of a, a real heart to heart about I love the idea that you're excited about these schools, but you also need to get excited about the other ones in the event that those become your best options. Um, so we want to diverse Go ahead. You, I'm sorry to interrupt, but because I think often those are going to be your best options, the matches right. and the safeties. The reaches right. are reaches for a reason exactly. and very likely could not happen. Okay, That's so right. Sorry. I mean, the numbers just really are in your favor, and so it doesn't mean neglect the challenging, but it does mean we need to focus on the others, too. Um, the other side of this is that we want diversity in the, in the list, um, but we also, for admission reasons, but we also, diversity amongst the list around selectivity is great for the possibility of merit awards. You know, students are most likely to be uh, at the most competitive level for schools in their just right and their no problem list. You know, the way that the reaches work is that uh, they see it as, you know what, you're kind of lucky to get into your challenging school. So if you need it, we can help you. But a merit-based award um, we find is harder to come by for those schools in the challenging category. Um, the other thing I would say, too, in terms of, like, putting together a list and trying, the family trying to really figure out where schools stand for their student, um, there's this really great tool out there called Naviance, um, which is something that high schools will purchase for their um, school, and it's, you know, you can do research on colleges, um, Campuses can actually get transcripts submitted through guidance counselors from Naviance. But our, you know, the favorite part that I really enjoy about Naviance is the data piece. So, you know, if a school is maintaining the data correctly, it will help um, 
students be able to figure out based on the previous year's admission data who got into what schools and what kind of um, you know statistics they were working with. So Johnny Smith is a dot. He is a 3.2. He had a 25 on the ECT. He applied to XYZ school, early action, and Johnny Smith got in. And then all the other people who applied, it can show their statistics as a dot. No names, just data. Right. And yep. then, you know, we'll show whether they got in, didn't get in, waitlisted, deferred. So um, Navance can be really helpful for school, high school-related data. You know, but if your school doesn't have Navance, because many don't, um, talk to the guidance counselors. See if they'd be willing to share previous admission data on how students did at XYZ schools um, in the past. Gotcha. So we have time for one very quick last question, and that is, when you're putting together that final list, how many schools should be on it, ultimately? Yeah. 23? No, never. (laughs) Are you sure? Um, Many of my family seem to think 23 would be good. I know. In a perfect world, I would say seven, maybe Mm -hmm. ten, depending on a major. Um, I think seven's a great number. It allows for, let's say, two um, challenging, two no problems, and three just rights. Um, If your student wants to do a couple more and they all make sense, let's just try to keep the balance proper so that it's not heavily weighted towards challenging with no other options. So about seven to ten I think is really great. I would totally agree. Please, listeners, take that to heart. (laughs) The fact is that um, one of the big reasons that you don't apply to too many schools is because these schools these days require a lot in each application, and it's hard to do more than those well. And if you're going to apply, you better do a good job on that application or it's $70 wasted. Agreed. Um, Plus your time and energy. Kira, it was so great to have you as a guest. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Beth. Take care. Thanks. Okay, thanks. And just a quick break, and then we're going to discuss whether or not it's okay to ask for more money from a college. And if so, how to do that with my colleague, Shannon Vasconcellos, who is a financial aid and college finance expert. So join us after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you too. 
Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. So welcome back, everybody. I'm joined finally today by Shannon Vasconcellos, who is a former financial aid officer at BU and Tufts. Is and is now an expert in financial aid as a result and college finance in general. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good. So you're here to talk about something that I know some people find very scary, and that is yes. the idea of asking for more money yes. from colleges. Because I know that I sometimes have... Um, parents ask, well, you know, we got more from this school than from this other school, and I'm thinking that she really likes this other school more, and we want to call up, but I'm afraid to call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think, why, why, they're not going to take away your acceptance if you call. Mm-hmm. It's probably the worst <laughs> yeah. they could say no. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about that. And I think my first question for you is, can you really ask a college for more money than they initially offer you? Yes, absolutely. And I encourage almost every family that I work with to do exactly that, to go back to the college and ask them for more money. Um, There's really kind of two different ways you can approach a school in terms of asking for more money. Um, Though some of the division is kind of academic in nature, and there's certainly circumstances where they overlap. But one we call a financial aid appeal, and that's really based upon special financial circumstances that your family might have. And then the other way to go back to school is more like a straight-up negotiation. You don't have special circumstances, but you've just got better offers from one school than another. Um, and again, there, there can often be some overlap between the two. Okay. But no matter which strategy you end up employing, there's really, like you said, no downside to asking for more money. Uh, as long as you're reasonably polite in your request. Exactly like you said, a school is not going to rescind an admission. They're not going to take away money that they have already given you because you've, you know, annoyed them by asking for more money. <laughs> yep. The worst that they'll do is say, "Nope, sorry, we've got no more money for you." And at that point, you know, you'll have to decide if that particular school is worth the price of admission to you. But you might actually be surprised at how often the schools say yes and they send a few more thousand dollars your way. Mm-hmm. Um, here at College Coach, last spring we made a point of following up with all of the families that we talked to about asking schools for more money um, to find out how they did. And we found that the majority of families did, in fact, receive an increased offer from at least one school, sometimes more than one school. Um, And the average increase we saw was about $3,000. And sometimes that was, you know, just a one-time award of $3,000. Sometimes it was $3,000 a year for four years, or $12,000 in total. So, you know, it's not the kind of money I would you know, pass by, you know, if you saw $3,000 lying on the sidewalk, I'd pick that up. Yeah, $3,000 is a significant amount of money for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, 
of course, the results are all over the map. Some people just received a few hundred. Some people actually received like tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and you know, those type of big increases aren't really typical, but really, no matter what amount you, you end up getting, it costs you absolutely nothing to give it a try. You know, right. maybe a half hour to write a quick letter to the school. Uh, that all, that's all it costs you. So I definitely recommend that everybody give it a shot. There's really no downside. Gotcha. So that's great advice. And so let's talk about those two different options. So under what circumstances can you appeal a financial aid offer? Yeah, so you need to be able to show the college's financial aid office um, that the financial information that you've already reported on your FAFSA form, that it doesn't tell your whole story. Um, and now the, the FAFSA form really kind of has this big intimidating reputation, but in fact it actually asks very few questions about your family's finances. You know, it asks for your adjusted gross income, how much you paid in taxes, what money you've got in the bank, uh, and not a heck of a lot more than that. Um, and that really kind of limited information that they ask for is actually out of date as well because it's always based on the previous year's income. Mm-hmm. So if last year's income is not reflective of what your future income is going to look like, you know, if you've lost a job recently, maybe if you um, received child support last year and mm-hmm. that's going to end when your child turns 18 in a couple of months, those are really great reasons to appeal a financial aid offer. Um, if last year's income was maybe kind of artificially inflated, by you received some you know, unusually large bonus or mm-hmm. maybe you cashed in some stock options so you had this big capital gain, but that's not typical. That's not going to be repeated in future years. Those are also great things to bring up to the financial aid office. Um, if you've got high kind of non-discretionary expenses that the school doesn't know about, so high medical bills, if you're taking care of an elderly relative or maybe a special needs child, um, if you're paying private high school tuition for maybe younger kids that you've got, maybe mm-hmm. you're still paying back your own student loans, all of those things they don't ask about on the FAFSA, and they're really great um, reasons to appeal a financial aid offer. Um, so whatever your kind of exa- exact circumstances, they should be um, something that was not evident on your initial financial aid application. You know, you shouldn't just say to a college, you know, I live in an expensive city and I'm putting two kids through college so I can't afford your school. Give me more money. You know, <laughs> they already know where you live. They know how many kids you have. Um, so you, you really want to tell them something that they don't already know. Right. Uh, and that's it's- the best way to appeal a financial aid offer. Gotcha. So it's new information primarily or information exactly that wasn't right. going to be evident. Okay. Exactly. So what about negotiation, which you mentioned, and how does that differ from an appeal? Yeah, so negotiation isn't based upon any kind of you know, unusual financial circumstances that you have, but really it's just based on the fact that you might have better offers at other schools. So if you get you know, a $5,000 scholarship from College X, and a $10,000 scholarship from College Y, you can go back to College X and say to them, you know, essentially, you know, I'd really love to go to your school. You're my first choice school for such and such reasons. You know, I think I could, you know, contribute to your community. But really, it's just the money that's holding me back. I got this great offer from this other school that's really hard to turn down. Is there anything else you can do to help bridge that gap? 
you just put you know something like that in writing to the school, mm-hmm. include the other college's offer so that they know that you're not bluffing. Uh, and if you're a you know, particularly attractive student to them, so if they're scared that this other school is going to lure you away with more money, they may just kind of up the ante on their offer a bit to try to win you over. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, from my experience working with students and parents, they often get kind of caught up in, you know, how competitive it is to get into college, the fact that, you know, my child's competing with thousands of other kids to get into, you know, the college of choice. Um, but what I really try to emphasize to families is that it's a two-way street. Yes, you're competing with other kids to get into these colleges, but the colleges are actually competing amongst themselves to try and woo the best students to their school. Um, so I think it's a really good idea to kind of acknowledge the power that you have in the whole admissions process and definitely give negotiation a shot. Again, no downside. Right, exactly. I mean, that is the fact. Once you're admitted, it's like getting a job offer, right? Once you have the offer, you're a little bit in the driver's seat because now you know they want you, and it's the same basic premise. So with all that in mind, are there any circumstances where you should not try to negotiate that come to mind? Yeah, there's really only one circumstance that I can think of, and that's if you apply early decision to a college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to talk about early decision in much more detail in another episode of the show. But for folks out there that, that might not know, um, when you apply early decision to a college, you're really committing to that school. You're saying, if you accept me, I'm going to attend your school. I'm going to withdraw applications I've got out at other schools, and I'm yours. Yep. So when you apply early decision, um, which definitely does have some benefits on, on the admission side of things, um, so there's a reason people do it, but you do give up some of your power in the process. You lose the ability to compare offers between schools, and you really do lose the ability to negotiate. Um, you know, I said there's no downside to negotiation. The only time I ever heard of anything bad coming from a negotiation uh, is with a student um, who has accepted early decision to a very selective school but didn't like the the scholarship offer from that particular school. She tried to negotiate with that school based on a better offer that she subsequently received huh. elsewhere. Yep. Um, and, but, you know, the college said to her, you know, wait a second, you signed a contract that you were going to attend our school. You were supposed to withdraw your applications at other schools. You clearly didn't withdraw your applications because you're still receiving scholarship offers. Um, so not only are we not going to give you any more money, we are going to rescind your admission because you broke your contract. We're also going to call that other school that gave you that nice offer, and guess what? Yep. They rescinded their offer as well. Yeah. So you do. Again, that's the only circumstance um, that I ever heard of anything bad coming from um, from trying to negotiate. So you do have to be very careful when you're deciding if you want to apply early decision or not. You do give up really the ability to negotiate in that circumstance. Absolutely, and I think that points to a very good point in general about early decision, which is when you sign that contract, it means something, and Mm -hmm. that story is not, uh, it's the first time I've heard that particular story, but we all have our stories of students who have lost not only one offer, but two as a result of um, not adhering to that original agreement. But you're right, we will talk about that a little bit more um, in future shows. So very quickly, 
um, as we're getting close to the time for the break, although you're going to still be with us when we get back from the break. So um, we and we have a few questions that came in um, since we started talking. Um, who actually negotiates with the school? Is that the student or the parents? Yeah, so uh, it can be a little bit tricky, I would say. If we're talking about a financial aid appeal but based on special circumstances, we're talking about need-based aid, that is almost always the parent because it's the parent who really kind of understands the family's circumstances. Uh, typically, they understand the finances. They can provide documentation of these special circumstances. Um, so when we're talking about a financial aid appeal, that is almost always the parent. Um, when we're talking about more of a straight negotiation, we're not talking about need-based aid. We're talking about merit scholarships. It could really go either way. Um, I think that... Um, and you can jump in because you're the admissions expert if you disagree with me. I think when you're, when you're negotiating um, an offer, we're typically talking about merit scholarships. Those typically come from the admissions office. And I think the admissions office in general likes to deal with the student. Uh, yes. so you want to tell the college, you know, I'd really love to go to your school for such and such reasons. It's just the money holding me back. I think it's the student that can really kind of best express why they'd really love to attend the school. Um, so I think that it may be best if the negotiation comes from the student. Um, however, I've certainly seen parents do it. Um, you know, you could play kind of another angle, you know, if you're the mom or dad saying, my, my child really wants to go to your school, uh, but I'm the bad guy. I'm not sure I can justify this extra cost. You know, is, gotcha. is there anything else you can do? So I've seen it work both ways. I think you may get a little bit bonus points if the negotiation does come from the student. Um, but again, I think it really could go either way with a, with a straight-up negotiation. When we're talking about special financial circumstances, that typically comes from the parents. All right, great. Well, don't go anywhere because Shannon and I are going to be right back uh, to answer your admissions and financial aid questions. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, so it's that time in the show when we try to answer as many of your questions as we can. As I mentioned before the break, Shannon's agreed to stick around to answer some of your finance-related questions that have come in. And we did have a couple related to what she and I were just talking about. But before we get to that, um, there was a question that was asked a couple of weeks ago that I want to finally get to today. And this is this comes to us from Nancy G., who shares that her son has a great problem. He's been accepted to all eight of his early action schools. That is excellent. Um, by the way, those were two safeties and six match, just right, or target schools, whatever you want to call it. Uh, That's why you apply to those schools. But he did apply regular decision to three reach schools, and he's not going to hear back from them until the end of March. So her question is around how to best figure out which early action schools to further check out and maybe attend accepted student days. I think the really important thing here is to go back to that original criteria that you developed or that your son developed when he was putting together his list and reminding himself about what is actually important about those, you know, about his college experience and which of the schools that he's been accepted to best match that criteria. So it's a good bet. I know I'm seeing this actually, this very exact thing is happening in my own home right now with my stepson, who has also been accepted to all of his early action schools and is waiting on one more. And um, sort of what he's been doing is methodically going through and deciding, okay, well, these schools are all schools that I like, but they're missing this one thing that I was hoping to have. And so uh, by process of elimination has sort of narrowed his list of accepted schools, um, the ones that he's really considering, to about three. So going back to that original criteria, if finances are a consideration, then also taking a look at the different packages um, and determining which of the schools are really the most financially feasible. Maybe you want to negotiate a little bit. Um, but my guess is that of the schools he's been accepted to, there are probably a few that stand out over the others, and those may be the ones that he wants to actually go to, to those accepted student days for. Um, but really going back to the that original question of what do I want out of my college experience and which of these schools is going to give me that. Um, and then finally, you might want to, he might want to do some additional online research rather than committing to go back going back to campus, he could um, go online, maybe taking a closer look at the career services office, the coursework available in his major or majors of interest, um, and really maybe digging in a little bit more deeply than he may have done before he applied. Ideally, he dug pretty deeply early on, um, but my experience is that sometimes students don't dig quite as deeply until they know for sure that they've been admitted. Um, So those are some things that I would do in order to try to narrow that list down a little bit um, and force the narrowing down of the list because I think a lot of times students would say, well, I still really like it, but if it doesn't meet a couple of the criteria, then it's got to go because you can't go to all eight schools. You do ultimately have to pick one. Okay, so Shannon, a question that came in um, while we were talking was, my child's only a freshman in high school. Uh, Is there anything we can be doing now in order to set ourselves up to be in the best negotiating position possible when the time comes, so four years from now? Yeah, so there's nothing that, you know, you're in a real time crunch about at this point um, so early on in high school. I would say you want to do whatever you can do to encourage your child to do as well as possible in high school, you know, get the 
uh, best grades they can get, best test scores, all of that. You want to make sure that your child is a desirable student to the colleges that he or she ends up applying to. Um, so, you know, the schools, that's when schools are going to have incentive to negotiate with you. If you're one of the top students who's applying, they're really going to want you. They're going to show you the money. Uh, as opposed to if you just barely got into a school, they don't care so much if you enroll. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the better the student can do, um, the better position you're going to be at more schools uh, in order to negotiate. Um, the other thing is... Um, you know, over the next few years, as your child is thinking about where they want to apply to school, keep in mind um, exactly what Kira was talking about earlier in the show, that breakdown of challenging schools, just right schools, and no problem schools. Uh, and as Kira mentioned, it is going to be the no problem schools up somewhat into the just right category, perhaps, that generally will provide you with the best scholarship offers because, again, you're a top-tier student at those schools. They're going to really want you. They're going to show you the money. Um, so in order to be in you know, a good negotiating position, you need to have scholarship offers from other schools um, you know, to be able to compare. Right. Um, so definitely, you know, again, not a real critical issue freshman year, but over the next few years, uh, you know, as your child's thinking about where to apply, definitely keep an open mind about schools. Definitely be sure to include some of those no-problem schools on the list where you're going to get, uh, where you're most likely to receive some good scholarship offers that you can either, you know, take the schools up on those offers or at the very least they can be used as negotiating material with perhaps some other schools that you, you might like better. Gotcha. So essentially, same advice I would give anyone who is a freshman, which is do well, be realistic, start early. Um, it's the sort of good advice for both admissions and the finance side. Exactly right. Great. Okay. Um, so we another question that came in and related to my first segment with Karen Spencer was about you know, a parent asking, what about community service? I heard this is something that every college wants to see. And I think that this um, plays into that myth that idea that there is a checklist that I was talking about a little bit earlier. And the fact is that I don't know where the rumor started. I don't know if it's because a lot of high schools have made community service part of the curriculum. I don't know what it is. But what I can say is that I really didn't care if you did community service when I was an admissions officer. And I believe that all of my colleagues would say the same, including Karen Spencer, who worked at um, a religious institution in Georgetown. Um, The fact is that really what I cared about was that students were doing something they were passionate about. If that included community service, great. If it didn't, I didn't care. It never once came up in committee. Well, this student's really wonderful and always accept that he's missing community service. Um, so I think community service can be great, uh, but it is absolutely not a necessity and it's certainly not something that every student must do in order to get into college. Um, Shannon, we have uh, about a minute to cover the next question, so hopefully this isn't a this is one you can answer quickly. But yep. um, do Ivy League colleges negotiate? This is some someone sent this in. You know, we've talked a little bit about negotiating, but is this something they do at that most selective level? Not exactly. Ivy League colleges don't offer any type of academic recruitment type scholarships at all, um, and that's typically what families try to negotiate. Um, so you'll have no luck telling Harvard that you got. from Washington University. What can they do to to match that offer? They'll say nothing. Have fun at WashU. Ivy League Mm -hmm. colleges only offer 
uh, need-based aid. Um, they tend to be very generous with need-based aid. So if you're in the ballpark of qualifying for need-based aid and if you have any kind of special financial circumstances, absolutely bring those up to the Ivy League colleges. They're probably the most likely to take those special circumstances into account. Um, and also, though they won't call it negotiation, Ivy League colleges are actually in competition kind of amongst themselves to win the best students. So if you receive a better need-based financial aid offer from one Ivy League school than another, definitely share the better need-based aid offer um, with the, the other school that, that you'd like to go to. Um, and they will often take a second look at their calculations, very often try to match the other school's offer. Um, and they're actually quite upfront very often about their willingness to do the to, to match offers, and we'll put that on even on their website. So they will review need-based aid if you qualify for that, but they don't do academic scholarships at all. Gotcha. And I can say that when I was at Penn, we had a policy that we were very upfront about that we would come into line with offers from uh, similar institutions. But as you said, that meant maybe Brown or Dartmouth, but not probably WashU. Um Okay. Well, listen, Shannon, thanks again for joining me today. And thank you all out there listening for joining us for the third episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Next week, we're going to be talking about a standardized testing timeline, putting one together, thinking about test prep uh, with Jake Newberg, who's the CEO of our trusted test prep partner, Revolution Prep. We're also going to tackle a third segment on putting together a college list, and this time from the perspective of factoring finances into that and the ability to pay. And finally, we're also going to be talking about the college essay, how to choose an essay topic. Um, remember, send us your questions uh, or call us on the air during the show. We're here every Thursday at 4 o'clock uh, Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.